This is Zen Mind, a podcast featuring talks given by Zanki De La Roche at the Boulder Zen Center in Boulder, Colorado. I'm Brian Coley at the Boulder Zen Center. As you may have heard, Zenki Roshi is going to be teaching his first online practice course this winter. It will be based on part one of Zenki's upcoming book, which is set to be published next year, 2022. The course is titled Transformative Practice and will take place over eight weeks beginning on January 30th. Each week, there will be a Dharma talk on Saturday morning, a discussion on Wednesday evening, along with daily practice suggestions from Zenki and other reading that you can do on your own. All the talks will be recorded, so don't worry if you can't make it every week. I've been a student of Zenki Roshi's for four years now, and I'm so happy that he's writing and putting into this course what he sees as the most important teachings that Buddhism has to offer in the West. I think he really takes seriously this question, how do we reconstruct Buddhism in a way that works for people in their daily lives? And that's what I'm most looking forward to in this course. It's going to be a personal investigation for each person to see how Zen practice can transform your life. So, I hope you'll sign up for this new practice course and we can all share some time together this winter to investigate together this topic of transformation. You'll find the sign up and a more detailed curriculum on our website, boulderzen.org. And now here's Zenki Roshi with this week's talk. Good morning, everyone. Today I want to speak about enlightenment. In the past weeks I've been speaking about habits and about karma, and today I want to continue with that by asking what enlightenment has to do with it. I want to speak about enlightenment as a practice, and we're in good company with this approach. Dogen saw practice in enlightenment as being undivided. We don't practice in order to reach enlightenment. And enlightenment is not the result of our practice. But our practice is the expression of enlightenment. So one way I think we can make use of the word enlightenment, even though I think it's quite misleading in English and uh, in German too, um, for those who you are German speaking, because it carries this metaphor of light and you know the Enlightenment era, and we think it's some sort of inner, inner revolution in ourselves that has something to do with light. Um, you know, what, whatever your associations are. But one one way I think the word enlightenment can be made use of is that we treat it as a pointer to how things actually exist. It's like enlightenment is the way the the universe functions. Enlightenment is the way the universe functions, the, the way reality functions. 
in, in Zen, there's, the, there's an expression called the great function. You can say that's a word that points in the same direction. How reality functions, the great function. Now, our tradition, Zen, is full of, an, full of acknowledgments that enlightenment is not a conceptual insight. It's not something that we can grasp with our intellect. Okay. If you think of enlightenment as the great function, how reality functions, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not graspable intellectually. Reality is withdrawn. It's a mystery. You can know something about how the tree functions, but that it functions at all, that the tree is actually there and it functions the way it does remains a mystery and same, the same with our own bodies and mind. So that's what I mean by saying reality is withdrawn. It's withdrawn from our intellectual grasp, but we function within it, right? Inevitably, we function within the great function. You can't, you can't help but function within enlightenment. But there can be various ways, various habits, let me say, various habits um, through which you can feel alienated from the great function separate from it. Okay. <clears throat> so um, another word is, you know, the Sanskrit word for what the Buddha experienced under the Bodhi tree is Bodhi. And Bodhi is um, translated as awakening. And the Buddha is the awakened one. But to be a Buddha means to be an awakened person. And uh, what, what did the Buddha awaken from? Well, the, you know, one very straightforward answer is uh, the Buddha awakened from greed, hate, and delusion. Now, talking about habits, greed, hate, and delusion, grasping, resisting, and thinking that we can conceptualize the world and take that to be the truth. Um, yeah, those are meta, you could say meta habits of the human mind, grasping, resisting, and deluding ourselves. So this is what the Buddha awakened from. And he awakened from the illusion of a separate self, a self that stands apart from everything else.
so this this is this you know it's a metaphor sleeping and waking so we're awakening from this from this other state that we can be in that is governed by greed hate and delusion and the idea of a separate self and then there's another word realization so we could also ask ourselves you know what is what is realization um, you know one way i think of it is realization is realizing that uh, that i got it all wrong <laughs> i got it all wrong uh trying to um function through grasping, resisting, and deluding myself into thinking that the world can be graspable, conceptually graspable. And, um, and when that kind of realization happens, it's like we are arriving more fully in reality, how it actually is. In a strange way, even though it's it, it's a it's a giving up of um, a certain sense of self, you know, I'm organizing organizing myself through grasping and resisting, and thinking I know what this is and that is and how it all functions. Um, even though I need to give up that sense of self in this realization I, I actually feel more real i'll leave it at that you know it's like you some of you were nodding it's like yeah there is a way to feel more real There's another word that I want to bring up in this context, uh, intimacy. And there's this phrase, uh, Dogen says, all I wish is for you to be steadily intimate with the field of mind. All I wish for you is to be steadily intimate with the field of mind. So some of you have heard me speak about the field of mind and um, the, this metaphor, the field of mind is in contrast to the contents of mind. So it's, it's, it's a way to speak about the base structure of the mind and how to make use of it, how to discover it and how to make use of it. So what are the what are the contents of mind just to review that it's everything it's the, it's the display of your life it's sensations when i say sensations i i actually mean um everything that appears through the senses so you could also say appearance but i want to say sensation because it's like it appears through our sense activity. So there is this visual display. 
and there is this auditory display and there is this display of feeling and proprioception and then there is being this sensation or resisting that sensation or thinking about this sensation forming a concept and turning something into an object through a perceptual process and developing habits around that and stringing it all together into a narrative this is all the contents of mind your the the entire display of your of what you call, can call your life Yeah, so, so this is happening from moment to moment. And then when you notice, when you notice this, um, these contents, this display, you can ask yourself, what is aware of it? And if, um, if you want to just give a conceptual answer to the question, what is aware of it? You would say awareness is aware. But this isn't, this isn't, this isn't the way you want to ask it. So this is why you could say, this is why we sit Zazen. Because I can say, yeah, awareness is aware of the contents of mind. But it's about becoming intimate with this awareness. So first it's like stepping back from the contents. Like, I think the default mode of mind is to be caught in the content to be caught in the display of our lives the other day um well it's a week ago now i woke up in this house that i'm in and the house well, I woke up in the house that I'm in and I get up really early, you know, it's like three o'clock in the morning. It's all super dark. I'm going, I'm, I'm trying not to disturb Sophie, you know, so I'm going into the kitchen and everything is cold. There's this beautiful um, aga stove in the house, which is uh, a, a, an English, or British uh, special stove. It's on all the time. It has these like oven compartments and uh, stove tops that are always on. It's very, very convenient. It makes everything cozy and you go into the kitchen and then you can put your kettle on 
and it comes to a boil in no time. And all of that is not happening. And the heat is down, it's cold. It's too much. That's minus 15 you know, Celsius for the Europeans. <clears throat> it's cold. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm starting to investigate in the three o'clock in the morning with a headlamp, you know, is the gas tank, is the gas tank uh, empty? And, and uh, I call the owner of the house who's in Costa Rica. And then I call the gas company and the gas company, you know, comes out and they're checking on the tank and whether the regulators outside are frozen or not. And I call the plumber and the plumber is checking up on the heating system and on the aga stove and and the 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 uh, control valve gets pulled off and you know it gets put back and is is it this problem or is that problem and then a specialty i'm talking to a specialty service person for aga stoves because it, they, that's unusual in the united states this guy is in wisconsin and he's making time even though it's christmas and he's telling me well you can do it like this and you need to like put a match in there and hold it down like this and use your thumb because this pin is broken off. And so I follow his instructions while he's on the phone. And boom, there's this big explosion. And, you know, my eyelashes and my eyebrows get burned off. You know, you, you know the, the smell of burned hair, like that's a particular smell. So I knew immediately what happened, but my eyes didn't get damaged. And so here's this exciting display of my life. And it's, it's completely woven together with not wanting this to happen. Because I have plans for a Christmas dinner. Or this is actually, I'm remembering now, this is the 24th of December. And there's, you know, I have plans for a Christmas dinner. And I went shopping and it looks like the stove will not work for the Christmas dinner. And in fact, we didn't get the stove to work for the Christmas dinner. So I used the, I used the grill outside in the, you know, two degree weather. So why am I telling the story? Because our life, the display of our life is very captivating. It's very, very captivating. This is where we start, right? To be caught by the contents of mind, organized through grasping and resisting and various ideas that we have about it. And we are relating to the contents as self. You know, here am I and there's the stove. and. This is the explosion that just hit my face. And I didn't want that to happen. That was scary. So the first step is when you ask what is aware to be 
to recognize that there is awareness, a field of mind that is co-present with or in the background of the contents at all times. Now, when you, when you, I said, this is why we practice Zazen because in Zazen, you can notice uh, this display in less vivid, you know, in a less captivating form, let's say, you know, it's still captivating, but there's thoughts and there's sounds that happen in your environment and there's pain or various sensations, there's bliss. And so you can begin to let these contents come and let them go. And where are they coming and going? They're coming and going within the field of mind. So we become aware. And becoming aware of the contents as is a kind of stepping back. Dogen speaks about the taking the backward step. This is kind of a stepping back into awareness, into the field of mind, a shift. And then we can become aware of awareness itself, aware of the field, aware of, a, of the field as being always there. The contents are coming and going and the field is seemingly always there, present with and for the contents that are coming and going. You know, when we, um, when we confuse enlightenment with realization, intimacy, awakening with um, a self-improvement project, then the idea is that we become a different self. Like we need to practice in some way to become a different self. But I think when, when, when you become aware of the field of mind, aware of awareness itself, it feels more like not a different self, but a truer self. And there is talk, there's this talk, right? In spiritual circle, circles about the true self. It does feel like a truer self, or like I said before, more real. Because it feels the content is, is the display and this is, this awareness is, is more truly what I am. But then let me say that too. It's like when you grasp onto this awareness as, um, as yourself, as your true self, you've turned that awareness into content. You see, you've turned it into an object. It's like, now this is my true self. 
this this is like the way I understand what Dogen means when he says steadily intimate with the field of mind. This this trap or this temptation to turn this feel, the field of mind into a true self that you want to let go of that too intimate with the field of mind it's already functioning it's functioning in you know making this display possible is it's the contents are an expression of it. So this whole this whole display, this whole episode with um, with it's cold, the stove, you know, I can get caught vis-a-vis -vis that situation as something that I don't want. I wish this didn't happen. I wish the house was warm. I wish I could have the Christmas dinner as planned. I wish I didn't have to cook outside in two degree weather. <clears throat> when we get caught like this, right? It's a, it's a practice to step back into an awareness of the content. It's already happening. I can give up my resistance. I can give up the grasping for something else because this is what's happening. And I can relax. I can relax into potentially into this truer self. Now you can turn these movements into other forms of um, of subtle forms of resisting and grasping. See, when I step back into the awareness of the contents, you know, then you can you can dismiss them sort of as like, oh, it's not really a problem or it's like, don't take it personally, which all makes sense, but it can also be this dismissal. And it's seductive to uh, want to be this truer self rather than dealing with your life. And so we want to maybe just meditate, you know, because in meditation, I can be, I can become aware of awareness itself and I don't have to deal with all this shit. And so it becomes a kind of escape, like, let me meditate, then I'm, then I'm in a good space. Or you can have the fantasy that your life is going to be enlightened when it always feels like meditation. Or this can become the project, you know, I want, I want to achieve that. And yet, there is the need to, as Dogen, I think, points us to, to be steadily intimate with the field of mind, mean, meaning to let these fantasies also go and let the field of mind function together with the contents. What kind of 
this could be this is the this is our practice and this is also our inquiry into what kind of transformation is that to to function with the contents from being located in the field of mind now let me uh let me start again let me start the talk again from a very different point of view I listened to this uh, political podcast now and then, you know, to stay up to date with our very eventful political life. That display, you know, and um, the producers of the podcast thought it would be a good idea because it's the end of the year and make it entertaining and uh, ask the three hosts to talk about their New Year's resolutions. In fact, they uh, played the they played the New Year's resolutions from a year ago and asked whether any of the New Year's resolutions had led to any changes in the in the host's lives. And uh, no, they, no, the resolutions made no difference. It was very entertaining, you know. They had all kinds of uh, intents, like eating more healthily and less, and uh, being on their phones less, and especially her, and you know, all this good stuff. Being more productive and having a regular waking and sleeping rhythm. And not holding grudges and you know you can expand and being a more patient person and generally all, all around be better and as you um and as you know new year's resolutions have a certain kind of um reputation you know they last for a few days or maybe just one day just new year's day and by yesterday they were gone or today, you've already you've already are back with your habits. Now, let's call this set of intentions, whatever they are. Let's call that self improvement. And it's quite valid, you know. It's a quite quite valid uh, interest in our lives because we want to we want to make things better. Now you can add a set of uh, intentions to that. Let's call that self-actualization. So self-actualization would be something like to align yourself more with who you think you are with your purpose in life, with your talents, with your needs, and to bring your life in alignment with that. Let's call that self-actualization. And these are, as I just said, really valid interests. but they're not the practice alignment. 
they're not what awakening is about. Not primarily. Suzuki Roshi um, famously said, you're, you're all Buddhas just as you are. And there is room for improvement. So he acknowledged improvement as a valid interest, maybe even a necessity in some ways. And I hesitate to say that. I don't know what he meant exactly, but it's in the, at least in the sentence structure, you know, it's secondary. It's um, at least it needs to be recontextualized in the in the first statement of you all are already Buddhas just as you are. So. The last talk I gave, I spoke about not being a problematic person. And this is related, you know, to recognize yourself as already a Buddha, as already functioning within enlightenment, as not being separate from enlightenment. That's the context in which we can then make various decisions about improving ourselves, taking on habits, working with karma. You, you be working with your habits not because you have to, because you need to prove to yourself that you are worth anything, an acceptable person, or you have to prove it to other people. You're already, you're already recognizing yourself as being fully a full participant in the great function. And then there's room for improvement. Just because you want to. Just because it makes sense. Just because it is a contribution that you can make to functioning better with other people. Helping them. So in a way, I think the practice of enlightenment, the way I'm trying to present this here as an intimacy with the field of mind, 
noticing these various transformations in your practice, becoming aware of the display of the contents as of contents, recognizing what that the always their presence of awareness is in your life. And then letting, letting even that go and participate fully in, within the contents. This is the, this is addressing what I want to call for the sake of this talk. I don't know if I would stick with that phrasing, but you are addressing meta habits. You know, the most, the most fundamental habits, the habits of grasping and resisting, the habits of, 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 of conceptualizing the world and turning it into a knowing. You know, the antidote, the antidote in, our, in our tradition is to acknowledge not knowing. To always know that every story you tell yourself, even if it feels very, very true, is just a story. And it's not reaching the mystery of reality. That's a meta habit, right? It's there all the time. I'm telling you how it is. And I'm completely forgetting that I'm just creating a story. A story that suits my preferential way of looking. It's very disconcerting, you know, to, it's very, you know, it's so easily said to say, not knowing is most intimate, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's very disconcerting to, when you are involved with, in your story, how you're not treated well, or how you are really not so bad after all, and you've done it all, you know, out of your best motivation, and you are trying to justify, it's, you know, it's very captivating. So to step back and say, oh, this is also just a story, right? Yeah, it's just a story. Not knowing is not knowing is most intimate. <laughs> and then this meta habit of a um, a separate self, a separate self that stands apart from the great function this interdependent web that brings everything forth, but I'm, I somehow feel separate from it in need of controlling it. It's, it's scary to be swept, swept up in this, in this event, this mysterious event of the great function and be lived Yeah, but those are the those are these meta habits that are being addressed by the practice of enlightenment. Okay. 
so much for now. Let's take a break. And if you'd like to come back, we can have, uh, we can have some discussion in 10 minutes. Okay.